Welcome back to Squares and Sharps. I am your host, Karan Bhatia. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going back to Abu Dhabi for another stacked card from UFC Fight Island. This time, it's Whitaker versus Till. I'm going to be speaking to some of the top minds in MMA analysis and MMA betting, and we are going to get you set for that card. But first, we are powered by squaresandsharps.com. It is sports betting apparel and gear. It's what winners wear. Check it out at squaresandsharps.com. So today I will be speaking to Manpreet Joss. You may know him from MMA Lock of the Night, and we are going to get his official Lock of the Night and his official Dog of the Night for the Whitaker vs. Till card. And then I will be speaking to Clint McLean from the Die Hard MMA podcast. You've seen him on Twitter. You've heard his podcast. We're going to get his analysis of this card and where you can find value. Let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRAN2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karan Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. I am Karan Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Manpreet Joss. You may know him as M-M-A-L-O-T-N, Lock of the Night. Uh, his site is M-M-A-L-O-T-N.com. He's the host of the MMA Lock cast. So, Manpreet, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I was super excited to hear when you guys wanted me on. Uh, I had to match the hair, so I had to go all out with the pug. I'm like, uh, let's, let's have some fun talking about this card. Let's have some fun, man. Let's break it down so we, we know that we have Whitaker Till um coming up it's a big card there's a lot of stuff going on so i want to obviously f- talk to you about where you find value in the whole card but i just let's talk a little bit about the main event we know whitaker we know till we've seen these guys uh in the cage before many times i think a lot of this fight is uh which version of whitaker is going to show up right i mean he had the loss the big loss how do you respond to that so that i'm sure that's that's something that you're looking at right for sure. Um, I'm kind of happy that the, uh, the odds actually opened up as pretty much a pick Um And uh, it, it shows that people still believe a little bit in Whitaker, but it also shows that people believe that he can't really achieve his championship status anymore. Because if this happened before the Israel Adesanya fight, you're probably talking about like a minus 200 Robert Whitaker at this point, right? Um, I believe that he's still the fighter that we believe him to be. Uh, Darren Till obviously just coming off that win over Calvin Gaslam but he's beating a welterweight and pretty much just jabbing him and keeping his distance and, you know, establishing the fact that he's truly a middleweight. So it was a great middleweight debut for Darren Till. Uh, but I think Robert Whitaker is a completely different striker compared to Kelvin Gaslam. Gaslam is more of a, you know, he has like a two punch combination that he'd likes to spam over and over again and try to land that big shot and take his opponents out, which he has been successful with in the past. But when you're talking about a guy with, like Robert Whitaker, you know, he throws in way more combinations, three, four, five strikes and uh, combinations and kicks and stuff. So I think it's going to throw Darren Till off a little bit. Um, I think it's also going to throw Darren Till off in terms of, you know, fighting uh, uh, an actual middleweight now. Robert right. Whitaker used to be a welterweight, but trans- transitioned flawlessly over to middleweight and uh, captured the title. And he's really established himself there in terms of like size wise and, and his body and has how he actually fights with it too. So, uh, I, man, I, at this pick him lot right now I really like Whitaker like I think people are really downplaying him j- just due to the fact of the the Adesanya finish last time around 
Right. That's the question. Like I said, I mean, it's always interesting to look at a fighter's psychology in both boxing and MMA. If you've had success for a long period of time, gone through some wars, but come out on top, and then some guy just stops you, it's like, how do you respond, right? Um, so in terms of the current numbers right now, I'm looking at five dimes. We've got Whitaker at minus 120, Till at, at plus 100. Um, obviously a close fight. It, do you see any, any value there in, in, in those numbers? Personally, I already have a play on Robert Whitaker at minus 115. Um, I, I didn't take anything too large, just something small. Uh, again, with the fight beating out of Pickham, I think it's just a lot of like outside narrative coming into this fight where people think that for some reason Robert Whitaker is shot. He got knocked out by Adesanya, probably going to be one of the greatest of all time when it comes down to it, right? So you can't really count him out after that, that one loss, but I think he has a ton of value here. And again, as I said, if it wasn't for the Adesanya fight, he'd probably be a minus 200 favorite at this point. Absolutely. No, well said. That's, that's a great way to break it down. So it is a stacked card. There's a bunch of fights. I want to talk to you about some of the other fights. The fight right before that, Hua versus Noguera. Um, you know, it's interesting. In, in the last episode, uh, we had a few rematches because we were looking at UFC 251. And I, I was talking to people who bet on these type of fights. And I said, you probably have a lot of data because it's a rematch. Now, this is a trilogy. So you have even more data. But uh, the first fight, I believe, was in 2005. So that's 15 years ago. So you and your process, when you're looking at a fight like this and, and trying to do analysis, I mean, how much are you looking at the previous fights? Because even though it, it does give you a good sense of what maybe could happen, it was also a long time ago. So you got to throw the first fight out the window. You know, I mean, 15 years ago, these guys are completely different. You know, Shogun's won a title in the meantime. Um, you know, Lil Nog has had ups and downs, gotten knocked out a bunch of times. Uh, Shogun, surprisingly, I think since 2015, He's 4-1-1. One one. Considering he's 38 years old, it's insane that he'd still be able to, to, to put, put together that type of run. Um, You've got to look at the, first, or the second fight a little bit. That was back at UFC 190. I believe that was about four or five years ago at this point. Um, you know, Noguera rocks him early, or in that first round. And then in the second and third round, we see uh, Shogun take a little bit of a um, more of a cautious approach, you know, clinching up against the cage, kind of kneeing him, kind of point fighting. Uh, and going into this fight, the one thing that kind of surprised me and jumped out to me a little bit more was actually the over-under. They actually set it at one and a half. I thought they would have set it at two and a half. But uh, considering that Noguera has gotten knocked out a couple times in his last fights, I think that people are expecting Shogun to go out there. He's a minus 185 favorite. Expecting him to go out there and knock him out immediately. I don't think so. I think we're going to get a little bit of a staring contest, and we're going to get these guys trying to feel each other out, push each other, push each other up against the cage. So I think the true value in this fight is actually over because one, they're aged. Two, they're, they're probably a little bit more hesitant now. They don't really throw with heavy bombs anymore. Uh, and they're a little bit slower. So I expect this fight to go over the seven and a half minute mark. And I, again, I think that's where the value lays. And you can't be comfortable with Shogun at minus 185, in my opinion. And with that said, with the over-under and the minus 185, if you feel comfortable, is that, uh, are those plays that, that you've decided to make on this fight? I've actually made a play on the over one and a half here. I believe I got minus 130-ish. Uh, it was. I think there's a high likelihood of this fight going over that seven and a half minute mark. That's that's great analysis, and that's going to be another good fight, a really interesting fight when when fighters meet up for a third time. But especially as we said, through different years, how things have changed through the years. So, uh, of course, we have another big fight: uh, Verdum versus Gustafsson. Um, guys that we've seen many times. Uh, you know, you never want to say fighters are shot, right? But there is there is the the concept of shop worn going through a lot of wars. And you don't always know what you're going to get, right? You don't know who's still got it, who's training as hard. A lot of times, fighters um, who are maybe older in age or had a lot of fights save that one last performance, that one last fight that they really get amped up for and have a really good performance. So it's, it seems like in this fight, there's, there's a lot of unknowns, right, about how it's going to play out. See, it's been long thought, at least in my head, that Gustafson would benefit from going to the heavyweight division. He has a large frame. Uh, I've seen I've seen pictures of him during fight week now, and it seems like he's carrying the weight pretty well. You know, he doesn't look like Gian Vellante moving up to heavyweight carrying a six pack in his gut. You know, what I mean, he looks he he actually looks like he wants to be at heavyweight. He's 33 years old, so let's not forget about the fact that he's still quite young. He could still possibly be in his prime. Um, I think that uh, his striking is definitely up there in the top five of the division. I think if he really looks uh, good in this fight. Uh, we could see him possibly be in the top three of the heavyweight division. You know, all the skills that he brings to the table, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely uh, encouraging for Gustafsson. Uh, with Verdum on the other side, man, he looked like 
he looked terrible in that fight against Alexei Olenek. He came in as the minus 350 favorite and looked like the plus 290 underdog. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, th- th- that was a tailor-made fight for him. He didn't get the job done. I just don't expect him to get the job done against uh, Alexander Gustafsson here. But minus 250 on a returning Gustafsson who looked a little shady in his last fight against Anthony Smith and then pretty much, you know, retired immediately. Um, I want to see where he's at first mentally coming back, uh, you know, at heavyweight. If he looks good, uh, I'd be more willing to back him in the future. But in terms of like actually betting on him or even parlaying him at minus 250, I'm kind of going to just take a back seat and just watch what kind of Gustafson shows up. No, absolutely. I mean, obviously moving up in weight is, is always uh, an interesting thing for fighters to do and, and, it, and it poses its own challenges, but Gustafson is a tall guy. I believe he's six foot five. He's, you know, he can fit into that frame and that put on that extra weight probably, uh, you know, probably won't be too hard, but to your point, minus 350, this might be one of the fights where you just put your feet up and joy uh, may not be the right time to make a play just yet. So there's a lot of other fights on the card, and I want to get your thoughts on those. Um, one of those is uh, Chemayev, who we've obviously heard a lot about because he just fought about a week ago. Uh, it's a quick turnaround. And in terms of the numbers that I'm looking on, at least on five dimes, he's at minus 1,200. Um, so there's an interesting concept here where just because you believe a fighter is going to win a fight, let's say, nine out of ten times or even more than that, um, it may not always be the right thing to put some money down. So what, what do you make of, of this fight, the quick turnaround, and, and those numbers? I think Dana's a big fan of Chimaev. Like, he, he knows this kid has it. Uh, he's still relatively young in his MMA career. That was his seventh win, I believe, uh, a week ago, like you were saying. Uh, and the scary part is, he's a welterweight. He made his debut at middleweight. And say what you want about John Phillips, the guy's still a sturdy and big guy. So to ragdoll him the way that he did, I thought it was very, very impressive. He's coming in against Reese McKee, who got the call up. Um, it's kind of like uh, Reese McKee's trying to join a fraternity club with the UFC right now. And this is his hazing. You know what I mean? Like they're like, go win against Chimaev. After this, you got three more fights with the UFC. It's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, minus 1200 is a little bit crazy. I, you know, say what you want about Chimaev. And a lot of people are doubting him to be like the next, you know, welterweight uh, star or, or champion or goat per se, but minus 1200 on your eighth fight. Maybe not. What I am confident in is, uh, the the fact that he's going to go out there and ragdoll Reese McKee right off the bat and probably finish him in the first round. Reese McKee, former lightweight, coming up to welterweight in his last fight. And now we got uh, Chimaev, middleweight, coming back down to welterweight for this fight. We're going to see a huge size advantage for Chimaev. Maybe not in the height because McKee is uh, a little bit of a taller of an opponent. But when it comes to the takedowns, when it comes to the grappling, Chimaev is on a completely another level. We saw, we've seen Reese McKee in the past get ragdolled and his guard passed numerous times. So I don't think that he's going to have much off of his back for Chimaev. And I fully expect Chimaev to go out there and, and finish him within the first round or maybe early second round. Um, I believe his inside the distance line is, is something crazy. Like, yeah, minus 430. That's, that's a little bit crazy too. But I think the play here is possibly the under uh, one and a half as well. I know it's a little bit juicy at that minus 210 range. But if you think Chimaev is going to win, it's probably within the first seven and a half minutes. Right. That's a fair point. If you think he's going to go in there and destroy this guy, then obviously you want to target that uh, as your play here. So uh, it is a stacked card. There's a lot of fights um, on the main card, the prelims, um, a lot of fighters that we've obviously seen and heard of. What are you looking at? I know there's always value down the line. Um, so on any of the fights we haven't talked about, where are you seeing value? What do you think is a good play on, on this card? I might get ragged on for this one a little bit, but um uh, I, I'm I'm confident in Carla Esparza. You know, plus 150, she's coming in against Marina Rodriguez, minus 170. Um, you know, Rodriguez shows a lot of talent. She's technically still unbeaten. She's had two draws in the UFC, and both of those draws against grapple-dominant fighters. You know, fighters that are able to get her down, able to have success once they get her down. And I think that Carla Esparza, even though her striking is not the best, and it looks like she's going to pretty much die every time anybody is striking with her, um, her wrestling is still good. She does a good job in terms of catching kicks, uh, following up on takedowns, chain wrestling, uh, turning the corner on most of her takedowns too. And I think that's going to be the difference maker here because we've seen Cynthia Calvillo take down Rodriguez a couple times. And I believe that Esparza is a better wrestler than Cynthia Calvillo. So as long as Esparza can, you know, stay competent enough on the feet to get this fight to the ground, I think she has a ton of value at plus 150. Um, you know, I still think there are some question marks about Rodriguez. I think she has a ton of potential and a ton of talent, but until I see her, uh, you know, legitimately stuff takedowns and keep fights on the feet, 
I will fade her in an opportunity where she's fighting one of the best wrestlers in the division. Great. Yeah, no, that's, that's great analysis on that fight. And, and I'm sure there's others that you're, that you're looking at. Is there any, any other fights that stand out to you? Ooh, uh, you want to talk about fireworks? We're probably going to get some fireworks in the Antigolov and Craig fight. Antigolov has gas for maybe three minutes. And after that, it's, it's all hell. You know what I mean? I, I think, I think that, that's another fight that has a really good potential of going under one and a half, uh, whether it's a quick Antigolov submission or a ground and pound or Paul Craig, you know, surviving that first two minutes or so and then coming back and getting a submission or, or finish of his own. I think that's going to be a very, very fun fight. And I just got to give a quick shout out to a, a London, Ontario native, Jesse Ronson, coming back to the UFC. He had a very tough run the first time when he got into the UFC. Uh, Michelle Prezeres, Kevin Lee, and I believe he fought another wrestler. Really, really tough fights. I believe most of those were split decision losses too. And he got kicked out of the UFC, but here he is back again, unfortunately against another grappler. But uh, I believe, uh, you know, I think he has, a, he has a bright future as long as he can dust up his, uh, his takedown defense a little bit. Right, right. No, absolutely. And so we know that you are lock of the night, MMA lock of the night. So if you are able to, can you tell us what the lock of the night is going to be? <laughs> I, you know what, I'll, I'll give it to you guys. But uh, this is another one, a little bit of a controversial pick. Uh, Movzar Avluev. I think he, I, I'm surprised that his land continue, continues to drop. Personally, I took the shot at him, on him at minus 195. I think he holds some value there. Uh, I think people are just really into Mike Grundy and the fact that he's been taking down all of his past opponents. Um, you know, his past opponents don't have the wrestling of Movzar Avluev's level. And personally, I, with both of these guys primarily being wrestlers, I think this fight's mainly going to take place on the feet. And we have seen uh, improvements from Evluev on the feet. He's been training at Tiger Muay Thai, getting rounds in with Piotr Jan, newly crowned bantamweight champion. Uh, Mike Grundy training with Darren Till and those guys. The one thing that I see from his game is that with his striking game, he's mainly like a one-and-done fighter. That's how he knocked out Nadine Aramani pretty much. He, he just has a, a piston of a right hand. But outside of that, doesn't really throw in combinations, won't really win in the judges' eyes if he goes out there and tries to outpoint Evolev. That's what I think Evolev will be able to do uh, if this fight doesn't really take place in the grappling realm. And even if it does take place in the grappling realm, I think Evolev's pace, pressure, and cardio is going to be a little bit too much for Grundy here. And, uh, and just as they say in black belts, like there are levels within black belts, there's levels within wrestling too. And I think Evolev is going to be the better wrestler here too. There are levels to this for sure. So that is the lock of the night. I know that you are also uh, always big on the dog of the night. Is there a dog of the night on, on this card? Uh, I, I will be playing Carla Esparza if she gets to the plus okay. 175, plus 180 range. But I do also like uh, Hafiel Pessoa, unfortunately, going against another Canuck. But, uh, you know, I think Pessoa has uh, – that line is a little bit too wide. Uh, he kind of has a similar game to Boser in terms of being a, an agile uh, heavyweight. Uh, likes to throw a lot of leg kicks. He's going to be the slightly bigger guy here too. And it's kind of weird seeing him fight because he's such a, again, he's so agile. He moves pretty well for a guy that's that I believe is six, four, and he has a crazy reach, throws kicks a lot, has a lot of power in his hands too. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, that fight should be closer to plus 150 ish. So I took the stab on him at plus 205. So you heard it there. We got the lock of the night, the dog of the night. So, and, 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 you know, you've obviously broken down this card in, in a great way with your analysis. I wanted to talk a little bit about you and your background and, and what you do. So the concept of lock of the night, I mean, it, it's, uh, how did you come up with that idea? Um, you know, and, and what did you, what did you, what made you decide to kind of take that approach with, with your betting style? So I know the word lock has this like huge, you know, this, 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 this weird ju bad juju around or something. And I kind of just wanted to take, take that like head on. Like, I, I know that I'm going to get some guys that roll their eyes at me. Like, oh, this guy's called lock of the night. Now, why isn't he undefeated? Why does he have losing picks on his record too? It's betting. I get it. But I just love the term lock. Like I, when I came into this, I just wanted to be like, okay. But when I first started betting, it was just like, all right, I'm going to look through all 12 fights, look for the best bet, nothing worse than minus 350 and hit that. And it worked out pretty well for me the, for the first little while. Then I start to get into this thing where people are trying to, you know, get some peer pressure on me in terms of being like, all right, you're just a fish. You're just going in there, betting the, a big favor and then getting out. But if you're able to do that for a long period of time and it's profitable, what the hell matters? You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't matter at that point. So I'm slowly going back to that in terms of like going back down to, to one or two picks. With this card being 15 fights, I had to take my shot on some of these opportunities that are presenting themselves, and I have over six or seven bets for this card alone. But uh, for more often than not, I have no more than two bets where I just try to be very efficient, go in there and be like, all right, you know, uh, Novzarevlev is going to get it done. 
I'm going to put my money on him, you know, put the main amount of money on him and then let it ride and see what happens. And overall, with your process in terms of analysis, um, you mentioned with lock of the night, you may just be getting, you know, those small wins, but getting that over a long period of time that can add up. So is that your um, philosophy overall in terms of betting? I mean, are you looking for kind of those long term, uh, you know, those long term wins in that way? That, that's that's the way to, to be successful in this game, in my opinion, is like, don't go out there and try to think you're going to hit the lottery in one play or in one vent. Right. Uh, I do have like Hail Mary plays that like I call them lottery plays. Where I'll just put like five bucks on like all 12 fights. And if it hits, great. If not, whatever. I still have my lock and then I play to, to bail me out. But uh, yeah, the, the, the process is mainly just just look for that long term winning mentality um, and just make those smart plays every event. It's, it's not a it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. Or we want to be long term betters. I've been doing this for close to three years now. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it, having a lot of success and, and being on a podcast like this, even better too. <laughs> no, it's, it's great to have you on here and, and just get your thoughts and your process. I mean, that, that I feel like there's so much that people can take away from that. So you mentioned um, you had the lock of the night process, you got a little peer pressure. So when, you know, when it's not going great, when some of these bets aren't working out, what is your method to kind of stay off tilt a little bit, to, to stay focused, to kind of ride it out? What do you do to, to get out of that? Uh, I don't chase losses. Like I don't try to, I don't try to be like, okay, I lost last event. I need two lock of the night plays for this coming event. It's, it doesn't work like that. It's all going to even out eventually. Um, if you're a legitimate better and you're a good better, it's going to work out long-term and I have to just go back to my, to my statistics and be like, all right, I know this process works and I might be on a, on a crappy run right now, but I know eventually it's going to come back around, whether it's like a, a Hail Mary KO that uh, Kevin Lee lands on Gregory Gillespie, <laughs> something like that. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you gotta, you gotta take those losses. It happens. Like the, it happens to the best of us. If you look at guys that were even on your show last week, I, I'm very good friends with Dan and Newsom and, and V. We all go through these runs, but if you stay strong, if you believe in yourself and you stay with the strategy that got you to the dance, you're going to stay at the dance. You're going to live at the dance. No. And you mentioned the guys from, from last week, uh, you know, and this is something I asked all of them uh, as well. We were, uh, we were looking back at the UFC 251 card at that time. Um, so I'll ask you this just to close it out. The fight or event or moment that you are looking forward to most on Saturday night, what's the thing that you can, that you're going to be like, Oh, I can't wait to see this. Oh man. There's, See, when you research all these fights, like yeah. I, I look at every single fight because I do a breakdown on podcast on my own. And you just want to see these, these variables get locked into the cage and figure out this equation. And honestly, the one that's kind of had my head scratching the most, uh, man, I kind of want to see what Gustafson looks like. Like uh, that, that's the main thing for me, because if he comes in there and looks really good, we have a new injection of life into the heavyweight division. You know what I mean? That's a dinosaur division at this point in time. We have Cyril Gunn, who's, you know, everybody's avoiding to fight that guy. Uh, now we finally have Gustafson. Now who knows what's going to happen with Cormier and uh, Miocic. Uh, apparently they're going to, they, they're considering retirement after that fight. I know Cormier for sure. Miocic, there's rumors about that going around. So uh, it's a dinosaur division. We need some new blood in there. And uh, I think uh, Gustafson would bring really good uh, ratings and, and eyeballs to that division that they definitely need. It's always interesting to see a fighter when they make an adjustment like that. Uh, you, like you said, he's not, he's not past his prime, but in towards the later part of his prime, uh, you know, if a fighter brings in a new trainer or like in this case, moving up to a new division and you say, is that, Oh, is that that final spark they needed uh, to kind of just change things up and, and be dominant for a few more years. So that will be definitely uh, very interesting to see. I'm definitely looking forward to this card on Saturday. I'm sure you are too. So, just to close it out, let people know where they can find you, where, can, where they can get more of your great analysis, where they can see your picks. Uh, website, as you said off the top, MMALOTN.ca. I'm very, very uh, accessible through Twitter as well, at MMALOTN. And one thing I just want to plug with uh, Newsom, who was on the last episode last time, he's with MMA Play 365, but we work together on the tape index, which is a great service that we provide to a, a lot of betters out there where we have everything that you need to prepare for the upcoming event on one page. You literally just bookmark it, go to that page, click on whatever fight you want to watch and boom, it's right there for you. Saves your time, especially if you have a nine to five that you're trying to, trying to juggle and your wife and your kids and all that type of stuff. That's what the tape index is for. Uh, so I definitely wanted to plug that because we put a lot of hard work into it and uh, it's very, very, it's getting a lot of rave reviews. So I'm really looking forward to the future of that as well. Sounds great. Manpreet, I want to thank you so much for the time, for breaking it down, for your expertise, your process. 
Uh, enjoy the fights on Saturday, and I hope that we can chat again soon. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck on your bets, too. I'm not sure if you got some wages, but good luck as well. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRIN2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Batia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. I am Karen Batia. This is Squares and Sharps. I am joined by Clint McLean of the Die Hard MMA podcast. He's a contributor to odds.com. You can find him on Twitter at Die Hard MMA Pod. Clint, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing pretty good. Can't complain. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you? Doing well, my friend. So we are looking forward to Whitaker versus Till. It's a stacked card. We're back to uh, UFC Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, as we know. A lot of interesting matchups, and I want to go through the card with you. So let's start with the main event, Whitaker versus Till. Now, I read a little bit of your piece on odds.com. I know you said you feel like Whitaker has some underrated grappling, and you're also not the biggest fan of Darren Till, right? So just give me your analysis of this main event. Yeah, I mean, I can't lie. Till's one of those guys that just has never struck me. I mean, I don't mind fighters that talk crap. I don't mind, you know, when they have that brash, confident attitude, but there's just something about him that doesn't do it for me. And uh, I never bought in on the hype. I think, I feel like Till is just being pushed too hard, too fast. They want to make him a thing. And I just don't feel like it's going to happen. He needs more time to actually level his skill set up before he's going to be a, an actual contender. Whereas Rob, I mean, he was the champion. He's got, you know, two full-on 25-minute wars with Yoel Romero at the very top of the division, that as long as his durability isn't damaged, as long as he doesn't have any chin issues, I just think he's the more well-rounded fighter. He's a proven commodity at the top end. I think this is a great buy-low spot on Whitaker. And if it wasn't for Till being a hype train, if it wasn't for the UFC pushing him so hard, I think that Whitaker would probably be like a minus 170 favorite. And the, the numbers I'm looking at right now on five dimes, I'm seeing Whitaker at minus 120. So with everything you said, do you think that's a good play? And how much do you think the loss uh, affected Whitaker just mentally? I mean, it, you're, he was rolling and then, of course, you know, he takes his big loss. So, so how do you think that's going to show up? You know, actually, he seems like he's in a really good space right now. I watched all the interviews with him and stuff like that, and he seemed genuinely happy. And on top of that, he was talking about how he was, like, built for quarantine and stuff like that. I think being at home, being around his family, being shut inside, not having to do media. You hear sometimes how these UFC fighters, when they hit the top level of the sport – they just get overwhelmed. You know, it's media constantly. They've got the UFC cameras following them around for the embedded stuff. They got to do interviews. They got to do appearances. You know, he seems like a family man, a down to earth kind of guy. And I think getting away from the belt may actually have done him more good than harm. So I think that he's probably reset. I think he's in a good mind space. And uh, even though he took a, a, you know, a bad loss, which you don't want to see that for his durability sake, the knockout, but um I don't know that it really hurt him. He's still a very young man. He's one of these guys that he's still got a lot of future in the sport. He can still go back to the drawing board. He can make corrections, change his game plan, increase his skill set. Like, I think we got a lot of Rob Whitaker coming in the future. No, I've always said that uh, for a fighter and, and on the boxing side, like if you look at someone like Deontay Wilder, he had success for a long time. He was undefeated. Um, he took his first loss. I've always said that can be the best thing that can happen for a fighter um, because now it, it, you go back, you take stock of everything that worked, that didn't work. You evaluate your team, you make changes. So that can, that can end up being a good thing depending on who you are. So 
do you think uh, there's there's some value there? Uh, is there is there anything for you to to make a play on this main event? Yeah, absolutely. So I tweet out all my plays whenever I lock them in on my uh, Twitter handle at DieHardMMAPod, and I'm on this one. I I bet Robert Whitaker, and I think I got minus 120 myself on this one. I love that spot. I think there's value to be had there, and uh, I yeah, I mean unless his chin is the problem, unless his durability is completely gone, I fully expect him to win this fight. Yeah, it, it, it's that's another thing to think about is is the concept of a fighter's chin getting cracked, right? If you once you get knocked out, can you come back from that? Will you ever be the same? Different fighters adapt to that in different ways, and that's what makes this main event so interesting. So, mm-hmm. look, moving down the card, uh, another great fight we have: Hua versus Nogueira. Um, these guys have history. It's a trilogy, and in one way, a trilogy provides a lot of data for you as as you know someone who analyzes these fights and makes these bets. But at the same time it's not necessarily recent history, right? I, I believe their first fight was in 2005. That's 15 years ago. So how are you wrapping your mind around looking at the previous fights and how are you analyzing this fight? You know, this one, I, I'll be honest with you up front. This is a complete stay away fight for me. Um, you, you nailed it on the head. That first fight was so long ago. These aren't even the same guys, you know? The, we're not seeing the the nog of old. We're not seeing the old Shogun who, uh, these guys are both, damn near ready to hang it up you know this we know this is little nog's retirement fight and i've got a rule that you don't bet on fighters that you know are retiring they've already got one foot in the grave so to speak you know they're headed on their way out so you don't want to risk your money there in that spot now he may be coming back for some revenge shogun won the first two fights so it's kind of hard to have a trilogy when the first guy has already you know checked in those first two victories we know shogun's going to be the winner um at the same time, Shogun's been the more active fighter as of late and taken the more recent damage. So we talked about durability in the last fight. It, you know, Hua may be the one with less damage to give here. And we always see with these fighters, power is the last thing to go. So if Little Nog hits him with a bomb, he could easily walk away with a win here. And uh, I, I think the best advice I have is to just completely stay away from this fight. I can't imagine laying two to one or higher on a guy like Shogun who's really at the end of his career as well. But at the same time, I don't trust the dog enough to put my money on him. It's, it's interesting because you're pretty confident in who's going to win. But with that said, it, it all depends on the numbers and the price that you're getting. And if that's not the right play, there's nothing wrong with just putting your feet up and enjoying the fight. Um, so also on this card, we got Verdum versus Gustafsson. Obviously, Gustafsson moving up to heavyweight. That's a big storyline. It's also, what do we know about these guys at this point in their career? It's an interesting style matchup. Um, Right now, I'm looking at, at five dimes the numbers. Gustafson at minus 350, Verdum at plus 290. Um, do you see any value in this fight, and what's your analysis of this one? You know, this is another really weird one because I, I agree that Gustafson is probably the favorite here. He probably should walk away with a win, but I don't trust him whatsoever. His last couple of fights, he's been on a steep decline, in my opinion, and I really don't like when fighters change weight classes to try and get a new life in their career, especially, you know, towards the middle or the end of their career, hopping a weight class that just never seems to go well. In this case, He seems to have filled out pretty well for being a heavyweight. He's got that long, big frame for being a 205-er, so maybe it's not such a bad deal. And Verdum on the other side of this thing, we saw his last couple of fights, and he looks like he's got one foot out the door as well. I think this is the last fight on his UFC deal. So if a retirement is coming after this fight, I don't want to have anything to do with backing Verdum. But at the same time, I can also see a championship-caliber fighter trying to get one back in the win column before he – makes his exit or maybe tries to squeak one or two more out. We have no idea where Verdum's head at uh, in this fight. I'm actually waiting to see the weigh-in because I'm really looking for an excuse to think Verdum has a shot in this fight. And Gustafson is a complete fade going forward, in my opinion. As much of a fan of his as I am watching his previous fights and stuff like that, I think he's got durability issues. I think he's got confidence issues. And I just think the game has passed him by at this point. But Verdum is the perfect opponent for him to make his debut at the heavyweight division. I do think that he gets this one done. And I'm kind of hoping that Verdum has enough gas in the tank just to survive this fight. Because right now you can get Gustafsson to win by decision, a prop bet, at like plus 180. And I think that would maybe be the best look on this particular fight. Because if it goes 15 minutes, I don't see Verdum outlanding Gustafson. I don't know that he can get the takedown. Gus has a phenomenal takedown defense rating. I think 85%, something like that. 
and Gus's volume striking on the feet is going to be a problem for Verdum. So if Verdum took this fight seriously, if he's in shape, if he looks good, I think he can survive 15 minutes and maybe take a shot at that plus 180 prop bet if you really need some kind of an action. But I don't trust Gus enough to parlay him or lay the kind of chalk on him that we're seeing here. It's just way too wide of a line, in my opinion. It's always interesting when a fighter, it, you know, it thinks, you know, it's his last fight or last fight on the contract. How will that play into it? If it's an older fighter, sometimes they can get themselves up for that last fight. Sometimes, you know, just kind of cashing out. So it'll be interesting to see. And, and I, I like your point of checking out the weigh-in, seeing what these guys look like, just getting some more information and data. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be another, another great fight. So it's a stacked card top to bottom. Uh, I wanted to talk to you more about where you find value. Another fight, Chimaev, we just saw him, I think, a week ago. So it's a quick turnaround. Um, but I'm looking at some of the numbers. I mean, he's, he's minus 1,200. Um, is that justified, do you think? And is there, is there any play that can be made for, for his fight? Uh, yikes. I mean, this, I am a, the biggest Chimaev fan. I was all over him in his last fight. We actually bet him by submission in his UFC debut. So we cashed in on him the first time. This, this kid is legit. He absolutely belongs at the UFC level. And now he's getting a fellow UFC debutant in his second fight. So I think he's just going to roll here. You know, they're throwing this uh, Reese McKee to the wolves and I don't want to downplay the skill set of Reese McKee. He's actually a very talented fighter himself, but he's got some durability issues. He's been knocked out several times himself. And now he's taking on a guy in Chimeyev who we know exactly what this kid's going to do. He strikes well from range. He hits hard. And if he's struggling there whatsoever, he's got Khabib level wrestling. He can take you down and just maul you on the mat. So I don't see this going well for Reese. And the problem is there's no value to be had because everybody knows about Chimeyev after that last fight. We all know what's going to happen here. So you look at the under one and a half, it's over two to one. You know, like you said, he's a 12 to one favorite. I don't play those bridge jumping type of prices. Um, We got to give Reese a little bit more credit than that. I would hate for some kind of flash knockout to happen and be, you know, 12 to one deep on it. This one, I like to call them fireball and popcorn fights. You do a shot of fireball, sit back with your bowl of popcorn and just enjoy it because I think this is going to be some beautiful violence but I don't think there's really an angle to make money on this fight that's a great way to uh enjoy the fights I like that fireball and popcorn I'll definitely have to uh bring that out on Saturday night um (laughs) and and yeah you know absolutely great analysis there in terms of I, I think a lot of people are uh on on his bandwagon after that performance a lot of people he's made a lot of new fans um but that might not be the right time to find some value in in you know in that bet so with the rest of the card, uh, there's a bunch of fights. I think 15 fights overall, you know, main card, prelims, everything. Where else are you looking at spots for value? Um, any interesting things standing out to you from this card? Yeah, for sure. So um, Carlos Barza taking on Marina Rodriguez. My favorite bet on the entire card is Marina Rodriguez. When I first broke down this fight, I thought there was some value to be had on Carla. We know that Rodriguez struggles with the grappling. She's got two draws on her record, and both of those came to wrestling-type fighters. So I kind of actually leaned to Carla when I first broke down that fight. But then after watching the tape, Carla's terrible on her volume. And when she gets the takedown, she struggles to hold people there. She's a little small for the division. And she doesn't really utilize ground and pound. She doesn't have any submissions except, I think, her UFC debut. So she's a decision machine. And if she can't get Marina Rodriguez out of that fight, Marina's got a real good get-up game. Her takedown defense is improving. And then when she's on the feet, she deals serious, serious damage. I think she's going to win this one running away. And even if Carla is able to grapple with her, it's not going to be like her last fight with Cynthia Calvillo where she was getting busted up there in the third round and nearly finished. Carla just doesn't fight that way. She just doesn't have that skill set or that ability. So short of Carla blanketing her for the full 15 minutes, I think she'll score enough damage in those in-between sections that the judges will go ahead and give her the nod. And I wouldn't be shocked if Rodriguez gets her with a clinched knee and gets her out of there. Absolutely. That's another great fight and, and uh, great spot on analysis there. Um, I'm sure you're looking down this card even further. Um, I'm sure there's a couple other spots you got that, that you're looking at as, as interesting matchups and, and spots for value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just I'll rapid fire a couple here sure. for you. I, I'm, I, I, most of the people that follow me know that I'm, I'm a dog hunter when it comes to MMA. My whole philosophy is you're locking two people inside of a steel cage and only one of them walks out with their full paycheck. So humans have absolutely phenomenal levels of untapped talent that we just don't understand. And in that circumstance, 
these people are going to fight harder than you'd ever expect. So the underdogs in MMA are super live. You look at other sports, baseball, basketball, football, they're also numbers driven. Every single thing can be crunched down to, you know, a fine little piece of data. But in MMA, there's that human element. You know, people show up when they're not supposed to. So I'm always looking at live underdogs. And if I can get a good line on one, that's where I go. I like a few this week. Um, I've got Jai Herbert, who's taking on Francisco Trinaldo. I think he's an extremely live underdog. The judges over in Abu Dhabi have been favoring volume when it comes to the striking. We've seen it time and time again the last couple of events. Whoever has the higher output, whether or not they're taking the bigger shots doesn't seem to matter. If they're landing more, they're getting the judges' decisions. And with Francisco Trinaldo, he seems to be slowing down. He's over the hill. He's about 41 years old at this point. I just think he's going to get picked apart by Jai Herbert. And as long as Herbert can avoid the knockout bomb, I think he runs away with this one. Um, I'm also taking a look at Mike Grundy. I put a bet in on him. And, and I do apologize. I actually bet Jai Herbert. I'm giving you my bets here. These are not leans. I've actually made these bets myself. Um, Mike Grundy, another underdog that I like. Him and Mosbar Evloev, they're both high-level grapplers. Uh, Mike Grundy is a uh, Canadian Commonwealth bronze medalist, however. And even though they stand, you know, toe-to-toe roughly about the same size, Grundy is just the thicker man. I think I think he's a true featherweight, and Mosbar Evloev is, is a little bit smaller, even though it, it's strange to look at him after you see how thick he is and call him small. But I think the strength, the, the strength difference is going to be apparent as soon as they tie up. I think Grundy's going to be the stronger man. And when they grapple... Grundy, I think, is going to be able to be the first person to really give Evloev problems. I think this is a 50-50 fight. So getting anywhere in the ballpark of plus 160 or better on Grundy, you're flipping a coin. You just have way better value on your side. So I I like that spot there. And then uh, I think the last one that I've actually locked in at this point is uh, Piani Kinzad. She's taken on Betch Kohea. And this is kind of a risky spot because these mid to low level women's MMA fights, really anything can happen. You have no clue what's going to happen. But I think Betsko Hay has passed her spoil point here. She's 37 years old and she's on an awful run. Her only wins in the UFC arguably both could be losses. <laughs> and uh, Piani Kinzad is almost like a younger version of her. She's got a higher ceiling. She's got a reach advantage. I think she's going to have a little bit more output. I think she's just going to do enough to, to get the decision win here. And I think that probably gets her walking papers from the UFC at this point. It's, it's a great card stacked top to bottom. And, and those are some great things to look out for. Um, obviously I have to ask you, uh, I know you like to double down anything you're doubling down on, on this card. Uh, Rodriguez, Marina Rodriguez is the one that I have doubled down on. That's the one I, I led with that one being my favorite bet of the day. And, that right there is why. Don't be surprised if I uh, sprinkle the knockout prop, even though I've already doubled down on the play. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be an exciting card on Saturday night, like we said. I-, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your process and what you do. Um, obviously, you have taken the approach of, of you're having fun with this, right? We talked about the mm-hmm. fireball shots and the popcorn, and that's what it's about. I mean, this is entertainment at the, day- at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, people can get bogged down in the numbers and the analysis. And when you're putting up money, and if you go on a losing streak, it can – you know, it could be a little less fun. So I just wanted to know about your process and about having fun with this whole thing. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's really the key to my success. You know, I'm a glass half full type of person. I always have been just, uh, you know, try to wake up in a good mood and look for the, the bright side of things always. And the beginning of this whole thing was I'm an MMA fan. You know, I, I love watching these fights, and that's what got me started. I actually used to play poker, and that's where my, my gambling background came from. And, of course, you transition just right one straight into the other. You're watching MMA fights, and you just got done at the poker table. Ah, what the hell? Why not throw a couple bucks on the fight and see what happens? That's, and that's how I really got started. So I think people, um, a lot of handicappers out there, like you said, they get number-driven, they get into the information, and they can be really monotone. They can just kind of drone on through the information that they're giving you. And I'm not saying that they're wrong or anything. They give good, solid information. Some of them are winning betters, and you can learn a lot from them. But it's just not fun to watch or listen to. And that's where I like to turn it into a show. I like to have a good time with it. I like to crack jokes. And, you know, every once in a while you get a little hate if you crack a a joke on the wrong fighter and someone's a fan of them. But, uh, hey, that's the price you pay. I'm trying to have fun with it and just enjoy it. And and that helps, especially – when you go on those losing skids, it really helps to be, you know, having fun and have that goodwill kind of in your back pocket. The other thing is I don't charge anybody for my information. My show is always free. 
And uh, because of that, it, it keeps it fun and it keeps it light. You know, nobody's paying me for my information. And then I'm telling them to go lay three to one on a favorite. And then they get choked out in the first round. That would feel real bad. But, you know, you, you come back to me. And it, my biggest thing is you either win or you learn. You know, we, we recap every event whenever I do my podcast. And we try to find those spots where maybe we could have done a little bit better. The signs that, that we missed or ignored, that kind of thing. We're always trying to take a lesson from it. So even if we end up having a bad night, we always try to make ourselves better going forward with it too. And I think that helps a bit. No, we're certainly benefiting from you putting out this information for free. Um, and I thought that was a great point you made about poker. I mean, if you think about it, when you play, like, let's say you play online poker, many tables, you got the numbers coming up. It's a pretty serious thing. You're, you're kind of isolated. You can make money that way. But if you think about the times that you probably had the most fun in poker, it was probably with your buddies and a couple of drinks and you have the more human element there, right? So that's an interesting way to, to look at it. So in your overall process and your analysis, what do you think, um, besides, you know, making it fun, what is your edge? What, what resources do you look at? What's, what is your overall process for, for analyzing and, and handicapping these fights? So I basically just watch crap tons of tape. Okay. <laughs> I have a UFC Fight Pass subscription. I've got the ESPN Plus subscription, so I've got access to the full database of all the fights. And I go back and I watch the last three or four fights for – really every single fight on the card. It takes hours. I spend so much time researching and you just watch the trends, you know, cause if you watch a fighter, you're only good in MMA as your last performance, but that doesn't always tell the whole story. So if you see somebody and they get, let's say knocked out in the first round, everyone thinks they suck. You go two fights back from that and maybe they pieced somebody up. They picked them apart. It was masterful. What if they had the flu? You know, what if, what if they had a bad training camp, they had a bad weight cut, like the, those are the things you've got to take into account. You've got to try to erase that public perception from your memory. And uh, the other thing is your memory can trick you. There've been many, many times where I've gone back and thought, you know what, I know how this fight went. I don't need to watch that one. And then when you watch it, you go, oh, maybe I had a few too many fireball shots that night and thought it went a little different or, you know, I, whatever, whatever it may be, you miss a little something. And so I just dig into the tape. I watch hours and hours of tape before these things. And then I go look at the numbers because that'll tell me, like I said before, all the other sports are numbers driven. This one isn't. Sometimes the numbers lie in MMA, but you'll only know that if you watch the fights, because if you go back and just look at the stats, you know, you're going to see that so-and-so landed five takedowns. But was he rocked? Was his eye already swollen shut? Did he take a hell of a lot of damage before he landed that takedown? You only know if you watch the fight. That's exactly it. There's so much more than the box score. And a lot of combat sports, unfortunately, is what have you done for me lately? But to your point, if you can look at, you know, a few fights back and really see how this person is trending. I mean, if we look at Masvidal in, in the most recent performance versus Usman, if you just looked at that fight, you'd say, oh, this guy got gassed. If you, you know, if you don't realize, okay, he only had the six days to prepare um, and all the other things that went, you know, flying across the world, all the other things that went into that. And then if you look at, his performances before that against Askren and Diaz, you'd think that's a totally different person. It's the same guy. It's just different circumstances and different exactly. situations. Well, um, it, Betch Cohea is actually a perfect example of mm -hmm. that this week. Her record shows she's coming off of a win. That was a blind robbery, my friend. And that's something that you won't know if you just look up their records on ShareDog and you go, oh, look, she beat so-and-so. Nah, did she really, though? The judges get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> No, that's exactly it. And I think it's great that you go back, you know, to all these fights and actually do the work and watch the fights and, and find your own analysis that way. So just to close it out, uh, we talked about a bunch of fights on this card. It's stacked, like we said many times. What is the one moment on Saturday night where you're going to have your fireball, your popcorn, and you're going to be like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I can't wait to see this. What is that going to be? You know, honestly, it, it may be, you know what, never mind. I was just going to give you the boring answer of, of Chimeyev because that's everybody's fighter right. to watch right now. But the truth is, I'm a massive Paul Craig fan. And I think Paul Craig versus Antigulov is, is a low-key violence fight. And he just brings the heat every single time he gets in there. He's completely untrustworthy. I've bet him a couple times and I've learned not to because <laughs> he will not get it done for you. He makes very, very poor decisions, but it makes for a lot of entertainment. That's kind of my fight to watch. I think both those guys are going to scramble around. Someone's going to make a mistake, probably both of them. And I expect one of them to actually get knocked out sooner rather than later or submitted. So I think that's going to be a real fun and entertaining fight. 
Who doesn't love low key violence? That sounds, uh, <laughs> that sounds great. So to close it out, um, let people know where they can find you, where they can follow you and hear all of your picks and analysis. Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find me is at DieHardMMAPod on Twitter. I'm very interactive. I like to chat with people. And, you know, if you have questions or anything and you want to hear my advice, feel free to hit me up there. Um, my Die Hard MMA podcast is every single Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And that is streamed over at Odds HQ on YouTube. My sponsor is Odds.com. I do written content for them as well. So if you go to their website, post articles up and stuff like that where I break down the fights and I give a little bit more into the stats and information. So if that's your style, we got you covered there too. Clint McLean, I want to thank you so much for the time, for the analysis, for breaking it down. Really appreciate your expertise, your perspective. Enjoy the fights on Saturday. Take an extra fireball shot for me um, and, uh, and enjoy, man. And thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. And I definitely will do. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Squares and Sharps Com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Bhatia. And that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to my guests, Manpreet and Clint, for their analysis. I hope we got you ready for this big UFC card. Hope we gave you some good spots for value. We are powered by Squares and Sharps. It's sports betting apparel and gear. It's what winners wear. Check it out at squaresandsharps.com. If you enjoyed the show and you want to follow me, check out my personal channels on Instagram and Twitter at Curran Bhatia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks so much.